Christmas does not always fall on a Sunday. And so today's kind of a bit of a different day. We're going through the book of Philippians in our normal preaching series, but not this morning. So this morning we're taking a break from our series of Philippians, talking about joy. But the message still is a message of joy. It's just from a different angle, from a different passage, but still very much a message of joy. I want to begin by saying that we like to be in charge. We like to be in control, and one of the times of the year when that's the case is at Christmas time. We prepare, we buy gifts, we organize, we schedule, and in our case, we have so many gatherings that after it's all done, we're tired. And, and we're glad it's over. Not that Christmas has no meaning in a value. It's tremendously meaningful and deeply meaningful for us. The, the story of the birth of Jesus never gets old. It's a timeless story. It's a timeless tradition that we celebrate it. But all the gatherings, and then eventually, you know, okay, now, now I'm done. Now, now I can rest, rest again. So we have some more events to go to, my wife and I, and we're looking forward to that. But this morning, we just want to pause for a little bit and just marinate ourselves in this story. Today is Christmas, and it just comes. You can't stop it. I mean, this season of time in the year, whether we prepare it or not, our culture celebrates it, the secular world celebrates it, of course, in a different, a different perspective than Christians do. And there's no command in Scripture, actually, that we should set aside December 25th to celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's not even in the Bible. Some people say it's a pagan holiday. We could go in a, in a long discussion about that. That's not the point this morning. But the church has for many hundreds of years celebrated the birth of Jesus, which is a great thing to do, and so we do that. This weekend, as we're celebrating, we have prepared. We've gotten ready, at least wanted to get ready. But for many, ready or not, it was, it's here this morning. We are in this flow of time that we call days and weeks and months and years, and every year this comes. And every year we get ready and we prepare, and hopefully it all goes well, hopefully nothing interferes and so on. There's an unrelated verse, but it yet speaks to the topic of this morning, and it's in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, where the Proverbs writer says this, he says, The king's heart is a stream of water, in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And I want to just start off by saying that we're not really all that much in charge. All rulers and politicians have all kinds of things. They are in control and they're in power and they think they are. But we're not really that much in charge. We're a lot less in charge than we think we are. When we celebrate Christmas we celebrate something Christ has, God has done through Christ. And yes, people do accomplish things and they celebrate. Maybe you've been to something, for instance, let's say a grand opening and, and there's a ribbon-cutting ceremony and speeches are given. Months and months of hard work and money have been poured into a project. The, the, fin the, the day has come, it's a ribbon-cutting ceremony and television crews are on hand, take pictures and it's in the newspaper and so on. And then years and years later, if you're old enough, you read about, yeah, that event 25, 35 years ago. Yeah, where's that gone? That building doesn't even exist anymore. That organization died. It's history. I love history, and I read stories of things and events. And Just the other day, I got a hold of an old history book of a certain denomination, which I won't name. They started up and, and doing well, and, and how they started a certain ministry, and I read about that. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And then I thought to myself, yeah, where is it now? Faded history books, pretty much all that's left of that part of that denomination. 
But you know something? The story of Jesus Christ is not like that. The story of Jesus is as new and fresh today as it was on that Bethlehem night. It has not aged a bit. It's as powerful today as it was then. And sometimes these things that God does happen in such silent, powerful ways that only grow as time moves on. As I mentioned, today is Christmas and we're celebrating the birth of Christ. It's not an old story. It's old in terms of time, but time's a relative thing. But really, what was so special about that story? What is so special about that story? You see, babies are born every day. And when a new baby is born, it's an exciting event for the couple to whom the baby is born, perhaps maybe relatives even. But that's it. It's not much of a news story. And when Jesus was born, it was not like a whole lot was going on from a worldly perspective. Not a whole lot of fanfare, public or social celebration, as if a royal child was born. Let's say if one of the royal family would have a child, that would be different, right? Nothing that the world would really take notice of. But I would suggest this. One of the reasons God sent Jesus so quietly, or rather to an audience of such low people, the reason was this. First, the sending of Jesus itself, that was a message. But then the way Jesus was sent, that also was a message. I want us to get that. That Jesus came was a message. He is the message. But the way he came, that in itself was a message. And we'll get to it in a few minutes. And the message is this. He's Christ and Lord. We've, we know that from Scripture. Save us from our sin. But then how speaks just as powerfully, and that's what we want to focus on this morning. He came as the Savior. Yes, we get that. But then we start unpacking this. We start peeling back the layers. And what's underneath this? He came in humility. We read in Philippians chapter 2. We've preached on that a few Sundays ago. He laid aside his heavenly powers. His being in the presence of God as the one of the Trinity. He laid that aside. Paul writes, he emptied himself. What does that even mean? He came as a humble human being. The best phrase I can think of, he came in a simple way. Nothing to hold up. No earthly glamour and glory saying, hey guys, look, here I am. Isaiah the prophet mentions how he came as somebody people wouldn't even take notice of. Ordinary, very normal, everyday, simple person. He did not fit with the elite of his time. He didn't fit with the powerful and the famous. Not only did Jesus not really fit, you know what, they tried to kill him, and, and on and on it went. Jesus came into this world as an interruption. When he started teaching, he preached against a lot of what the religious elite of his day stood for. And even in his birth when he came, he came we, we, we can say he came invasively. He came needy. He came as one of us. And no, he did not come to make Mary and Joseph's life physically and socially better. In fact, he complicated it. And so let's this morning begin reading Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 1. In those days, it says, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Let's stop there. The political climate of the times when Jesus was born was not easy for the Jewish people. The Jews were under Roman rule, 
And that carried with it a lot of issues. They hated being governed by the Romans. They hated paying taxes to the Romans. They weren't happy with the way the Romans were treating them. Sure, there was some form of freedom. They had the temple. They could have some freedom, but they were really very confined. You, you can do your thing, but only as long as the Romans say you can. They didn't like it. The Romans had absolute power, and whenever there would be a liberator that would rise from the Jewish people, they would forcefully end it, killing the so-called rebels. They had to live in obedience to Rome. So here's this, this uh, census being taken, and commentators say it was for the purpose of taxation, which the Jews didn't like, paying tax to Rome. But anyway, so that was the deal. The decree was sent out, taxes are going to be collected, whether you like it or not, this is what's going to happen. So everyone has to get, get, go and get registered. And it's not a volunteer thing either. They were under government orders. And they didn't have the luxury at the time of just clicking on a website and then filling out some forms and then hit submit and it was gone. No, this was a big to-do, a big deal. In fact, it was a big upheaval, so to speak. Let's read further. It says in verse 4, And Joseph, now meaning he's got to go get registered now, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke briefly mentions Joseph and Mary in this story here. It's intentional, but... He, he just touches on it. We have a bit more of the story of Mary and Joseph in the Gospel of Matthew, which we won't read this morning. And in case anyone thinks that Joseph and Mary had everything going for them, and this was maybe some kind of a honeymoon trip, no, it was not. They didn't even have a flawless relationship between them. There were some glitches. Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary, sure, sure yes. But the couple was not married yet at this point. In Jewish culture in that day and age, you would engage to be married, you would get engaged, and that engagement was a one-year time frame in which it happened, that was normal, and it was a legally binding thing. An engagement was like a marriage in some ways. They wouldn't live together, be intimate together, but they would have a legally binding um, engagement. They were pledged each to the other. Well, in Joseph's case, if you read Matthew chapter 1, you find that he finds out one day she's pregnant, well, the angel had visited her, told her she was chosen by God. She had found favor with God. God was going to use her to bring the Messiah into this world. Well, she doesn't consult Joseph. She just accepts it. Joseph finds out his, his fiance is expecting. It's not a good thing. Can you just imagine how Joseph must have felt? Who's engaged to be married to Mary, to want to hear the news? A gut-wrenching experience, no doubt. Knowing the baby's not his, this means one thing. Mary's not been faithful. She spins with someone else. So he wants to end the relationship. Who can blame him? It says in Matthew, again, we won't read that. Matthew writes, Joseph was a righteous man, and so he wants to just not put Mary to public shame. He wants to just, just, just divorce her quietly, which he was entitled to under Jewish law. He's just not going to marry this girl who's got a baby, going to have a baby from another guy. But he has to do it in an official, legal way. And that's the embarrassment of it all. He couldn't just stop seeing her. He had to end it. It's kind of complicated. All of this points out that Jesus was not a convenience in the life of Joseph or Mary. He was an interruption in this couple's life before he was even born. 
And later on, too, you know about Herod and so on. You can read more stories. But before Joseph gets that far and goes through with the divorce to end the relationship between him and Mary, an angel appears to him and says, look, Mary's not been unfaithful. What she's carrying is of the Holy Spirit. Just, it's all good. And then Joseph does that. He says, okay, you know what, I accept it. So he takes on the task of caring for Mary and and anticipating he's going to be the father of a child which is not his child. So here they are on the trip to, to, uh, to Bethlehem. Joseph with his pregnant fiance. He's not the dad. It's funny, but it's not funny. What if God would, char- would give you the task? Say, you know what, I'm going to have you plan the plan of salvation. I'm going to have you organize how we're going to do this. Would you, would you and I plan it this way? No, we would have a nice, clean, polished scenario. Everything would be just so. So no, so no, no embarrassments, no surprises, everything nice, neatly organized. That's most likely what we would do. That's how we as people are. We want to be in control and in charge. We would like a convenient story, a polished story, with no glitches in there. Many people want a convenient story, one that Jesus compliments or that God enhances to their already planned, predetermined life and schedule they have set for themselves. You see, many people don't want a Jesus who's going to cost them something, who's going to inconvenience them, or create some interruptions, maybe even be invasive. You know, you and I don't have to bring Jesus into this world. That's done. That's history. That God did through Joseph and Mary. But God does bring Jesus into our lives in ways that we may not have considered. Jesus still comes to us in ways that are interruptions, that are invasive, that we may not even expect. You know, sometimes there are people who just don't fit. They're uncomfortable. They're awkward. They make us feel uncomfortable. Everyone's better off if they're not here, if we're not there. That's what I'm talking about. Let's stop for a moment. What if it is these people who are God's Christmas gift to us? And that can happen any day of the year. It doesn't have to be on December 25th. I have news for us. If we're going to love Jesus, he will come on his terms, not ours. As an inconvenience to us, possibly, as an interruption to test and prove our love that we say we have. Many times, Jesus comes into our lives in upsetting ways, costing us our convenience, interrupting our schedules. And if you doubt what I'm saying, I would encourage you to read Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Again, we won't go there this morning. We'll take too long. There, Jesus illustrates what it would be like on Judgment Day when he returns to judge. There will be two types of people. The self-righteous who think they've earned heaven, who claim they did all kinds of good deeds and probably did a lot of good deeds. Jesus will reject them and say, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. Basically, I want to love you, Jesus, on my terms. I want to work for you, Jesus, on my terms. I want to follow you on my, on my terms. That's not Christianity. And I want to make something clear. This is not teaching that we can earn salvation by works, but our fruits do reveal what path we're on. In Matthew chapter 7, earlier in Matthew 21 to 23, again, won't go there either, Jesus will say to some people, away from me, I never knew you. And again, this is not about works. It's about being on the path of grace. There's only that path. There's no other. 
But if we're walking with Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, expect it to cost something. And if it costs nothing, that should be an alarm. The prosperity gospel teaches Jesus is here to serve us, to make me happy, to accommodate me, make life easy and convenient for me. Listen, that's not what Jesus came to do. Not at the very beginning, nor at the end, nor anywhere in between. So if you and I could have an interview with Joseph and Mary and talk to them and ask them, what was the whole deal like? How did it impact you? They would have stories to tell. It was not easy. It was not convenient. Yes, it was stressful. Yes, it was complicated. This was, by the way, a three-day journey on foot, no doubt. And here Joseph takes Mary as his fiancée, cares for her as his wife, and helps with the child. Joseph went above and beyond, we can say. This was not a vacation. There, Mary, in this simple place, Mary gives birth to her firstborn. He was placed in a manger, not exactly a place where a royal child would be put. And as for Mary, this was a new experience. She was a first-time mother. She had never been a mother before. And again, we don't have time to dive deep into the story, but just the fact that God chose this method as complicated, as loose-ended, as difficult as it was, it's more than our minds can grasp, but it does teach us what is important to God. Well, the story doesn't end there. It keeps going. In verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Commentators suggest that Shepherds were of the lowest of the low in terms of job or occupation in that time. If someone would ask you, what's your job? You say, well, I'm a shepherd. Well, okay, well, not much to say there because it doesn't mean a whole lot. No glamour, no recognition, no acknowledgement. Shepherds were just shepherds. The shepherds in that setting, they had to be watchful even at nighttime because there might be danger for the sheep, for the flock, and so they had to keep watch of their flocks at night as well. Let's continue reading verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Why did he have to come at night? I mean, there's a better way to do that, right? I mean, wait till morning. If you would write the story of salvation, wouldn't you plan it for the morning? I think I would. I mean, after coffee, right? We're more more awake, and wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a better idea? Maybe improve on the story a little bit. Why at night? We're not told. See what's going on here? Scheduling, timing, place, and anything. God is not, God is not adjust to our schedules and what we would want for ourselves. He comes on his own time, in his own way, but down to our level. You see what's going on here? God is full of surprises. He's the master of them. Shepherds had no clue. No one told him the night was going to be different than any other. Completely unexpected. And they're afraid, and who wouldn't be? It says God's glory shone around them. We don't know what that must have looked like unless we have seen God's glory. I, don't, I have never seen God's glory that way. But whatever it was, it was enough to strike fear into the hearts of the shepherds. We're also not told what kind of men these shepherds were. Were they men of good moral character? Men of integrity? Honest men? Again, we're not told. It's not for us to speculate or be concerned about that. But what is noteworthy is that God is in 100% complete control at all levels here. He decides who to inform and when to inform and how much to inform. And here it's the shepherds. The angel of God spoke to these men in verse 10. It says, The angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These shepherds in the night, as afraid as they were, were given the good news of the exciting event that had taken place in Bethlehem that night. Christ the Lord had been born in Bethlehem. And we don't know fully how much they understood what their comprehension was. We just know that they were excited. And the Messiah had been born. and The Jews were waiting for the Messiah. The angel gave them some instructions. Not a GPS coordinate or anything like that, but here's some of the the directions you'll need to find. And you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So far, the story has been a series of unfolding of events along a very simple, humble path. And even here, it does not change. The child will be found in a manger. But then there's one change, and the heavenly host showed up in verse 13, it says. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's choir showed up. They, they were praising God. We're not told if it was actually music. It may have been. Or if they're simply saying something. Whatever it was, they're saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's, the connection has happened. God has come. The message has not changed in our time. The message is about God's glory and his peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased even today. But let's summarize now. Let's summarize. Jesus came to this world through a simple, humble young woman. Jesus came in a simple, humble town. He came in a simple, humble dwelling. And Jesus' coming was announced to simple, humble, ordinary shepherds. All on God's terms. To a woman he had appointed to a town he had designated, to a home he had preordained, to a people of his choosing. You see how in control God is? And that's a tremendous relief for us. We don't have to do this. We can submit to it and go along with it. Maybe you're thinking, well, what does have this to do with us? If you think you don't fit, you do fit. If you're willing to receive it. You don't have to worry about the perfection, how good or not good you are, how perfect or not perfect you are. Jesus came in such humility. We will never fully know. There was no lower level to which he could go. So the question is now for you and I, do we want to fit? We can fit. We have room there. Well, what did the shepherds do after the angels had come? What did they do? It says, all right, guys, as soon as they say we're going to Bethlehem, right? It's not what happens. They go right away. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, it says, with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it were wondering, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them, pondering them in her heart. There was an urgency to the message, and it is today too. They wanted to see, and so should we. They went and found Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. And they did one more thing. They spread the good news. They could have said, oh, we're just shepherds. Nobody's going to believe our story. We're just shepherds. And they would have been correct in that thinking, but they shared it anyway. It says the people wondered. But Mary, the young mother, treasures all of this in her heart, and we can say with confidence, she was not really full of understanding the gravity of what had happened. And if you read the story of Jesus being circumcised and named in the temple, you get more of that there. But the passage closes off with the shepherds glorifying God and praising God. And the shepherds return, says in verse 20, the shepherds return glorifying, praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, folks, today is Christmas. And a lot of people have done a lot of preparing and spending time and energy and everything to make it just right, just right. And I wish everyone well. And I want to say something. God is pleased with simple and humble. God used a simple, humble couple, a simple, humble town, simple, humble place to bring his gift to this world. And it was announced to simple people. When God gave his son, he gave himself by becoming one of them. So how does this apply today to you and I? Well, for starters, you don't have to do that story. That story is finished. Well, it's not finished. It's going on, but we're engaging in it. But we're invited to join the celebration of our Lord and Savior. We're invited to join in. And we do that by embracing the life he lived. We too can live humbly, with open arms, welcoming those who are in need, and live out the Christmas story by opening our hearts one for the other to those who cannot repay us. Today we're invited to welcome Jesus into our lives. Maybe you're a believer and you'll want to be with Jesus. You can be Jesus with skin unto someone that you may meet. Maybe it's loved ones, maybe it's a stranger. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, why not make that choice today? Jesus was born into this world and died on the cross and he rose again. And all who repent put their trust in him. Jesus says they will be saved. For those who are saved, this is something God will use to make us strong. You see, God sent Jesus as a humble king to a simple place, to a simple couple. If you wonder whether or not you fit, you do fit. Surrender to him. And when you do, the outward, the worldly stuff becomes small and it fades like an old history book that you wonder, why did they ever do that? This stays fresh and new all the time. And I'm trusting God will give us many Christmases yet. Maybe not all of us. Some of us are further along than others. But each time we celebrate this, let's remember what Jesus did when he came. May God bless his people as together we seek to serve in his name. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for not just the fact that you came to earth, but the way you came. You came as a king, but a lowly, needy king. Lord, you gave yourself to us, and in giving yourself to us, you invited us into a relationship with you. Lord, may we celebrate with joy the glorious gift of eternal life that you gave to us by coming and dying for us on the cross. We rejoice that the story continues today. May our hearts be filled with gladness and joy this holiday season, and may we experience your presence. In Jesus' name.